Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from both academia and industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Elia. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Such an honor to have you. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So I would like to ask you first, how you would like to define yourself? For the audience, maybe first time listening to you. How would you like to define yourself? Yeah, so I, you know, I like researching soft robotics. I think that's a big part of, of my research and, and what I'm interested in doing. Um, I also, more broadly, I'm really interested in design. Um, uh, I'm interested in mechanics. I'm interested in materials and, and how those uh, three areas kind of come together. And those are areas I have a background in and, and interest in. And so that's kind of where I see myself um, following, following in, the, in the bigger picture of robotics. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'd like to ask you about your childhood. Do you have any memories about your childhood? We ask each guest about their childhood. So I'm curious about you. Do you have any memories uh, about being interested in science in general? Any kind of cis memories do you have? Good question. Um, so as a, as a high schooler, I remember um, we did not have engineering. And so yeah. I didn't know I was actually interested in engineering as a subject until I was actually in college. And I think this is something that's changing, which is, is excellent. Um, and so I thought maybe I'd be a biologist because I like biology class, or maybe a physicist because I like physics. But it wasn't actually until I went to college and started doing um, volunteering in a lab um, mm-hmm. and doing some robotics research that I realized this, this is what I could do. This is allowed. Uh, this, this could be my job because this is, this is so much more fun. <laughs> so, so I think um, uh, I, I do have a distinct memory of kind of the first time working in a lab in, in undergrad and just thinking how amazing it was and, and how I uh, felt blessed to be able to mm-hmm. continue to do this uh, for my job. Wonderful, yeah. So first of all, congratulations for your paper uh, in science robotics, the hard question for soft robotics. I think that's something, I think the community is speaking about that, and that's very important, uh, the self-reflection to the field. But I'm curious to ask you, firstly, since you started in soft robotics until you wrote this paper, how do you see the definition of soft robotics? Maybe in the, when you started, firstly working in this field, and until you write this paper. What, can you tell us about the process and why you think about writing, writing this paper and yeah, why do you think yeah. this self-reflection was so important? Of course, we, we are now staring on next decade, but what makes you that we have to self-reflect about what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that really stood out to me as we started looking at some of the data was how rapidly we have grown as a field from really 2010, 2011 until now, um, nearly exponential there for a little while. Uh, and, and I think what we notice is, is that rapid growth really is not sustainable in a long term, unless all scientists are gonna turn into soft roboticists, which probably is not true. And, and so, so it seemed to us that something was, probably in the next few years, something was gonna change with that, that slope. We're basically, you can kind of say roughly it's been a, a linear slope um, from okay. 2011 to now over the last 10 years. Um, and so I think that was part of the, the thinking that, you know, 
we've been expanding, we've been exploring, and there's been this rapid growth. And if we know that that can't continue, something is going to need to change or, or something will change basically in the next few years. And, and being prepared for that, I think is, is key. Um, and so that as a field, if we can spend a little time thinking about, well, what are the, the changes we can do ourselves as opposed to kind of being passive and letting those changes happen. Um, and, and I think we're in a really nice spot right now to kind of take control and, and say, mm -hmm. direct the field where we want it to go as opposed to where it might just end up. Mm -hmm. Right. I think one of important point about your paper that, that we do sometimes soft robotics for sake of being soft. And that's something mm -hmm. I think many people commit about that. But I'm curious to ask you first, because if we want to make the change and that will, will we discuss later, why do you think we were doing that? Um, if you speak about the problem, how, how you have a problem or maybe beneficial solution, why we were doing that in the first class? What's the motivation, do you think? Yeah, so in, in this actually, you know, we, we saw in a couple, when we were doing some of the research, saw this in a couple of different fields where I would say this is really an exploratory method of research where in a way as a field, we were kind of seeing what can you do um, when you are trying out mm -hmm. soft things, when you're trying to make things soft, what's possible? Um, and I think that's, you know, and, and, and we try to make this point in the paper that that is critical and really useful in, in the first you know, decade or so of growth like this. Um, and now I think we're at a point where we can start saying, well, not just let's make it soft for soft sake, but can we make something soft because it will be better, right? And, and or, or because we will learn something from it. Um, and I think that is a really fun challenge to think about as, as researchers. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of uh, one direction that the field could, could think about uh, in the next few years. Mm -hmm. So in the new paper, you try to, um, maybe that's maybe the category, how we can advance field using two levels, three levels, maybe zero and one and two. And, and I'm, maybe you can explain more for the audience, maybe they did read the paper, so we can, you can tell what is actual solution you envision so that we can yeah, make a progress and striving uh, for progress. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think sort of two two thoughts there. So so first is that um, you know they say things that are measured can be improved, right? So so in a way, by offering this framework or this this categorization, we hope that um, you know, and we're already trying this out in our lab um, where where we're thinking of new projects, and then we kind of say, okay, where would this kind of fall in the the on this zero one two scale? And just by doing that thought experiment and thinking through it, we're able to refine our project and say, okay, well, maybe we could bump it from a zero to one by think, rethinking it a little bit or from a one to a two. And so I think kind of the first step is, well, even just, even just having the categorization and going through the process of thinking where this project might fall can be really helpful in, in reframing it maybe if you, if you think you can improve it. Um, and then, uh, the second thing, and we mentioned briefly in the paper is, um, and, and this is more for the community at large in moving forward, is some, you know, the educational piece of it, um, working on, on courses and, and working on maybe even a textbook, something like this, that gives some of that basic framework um, to, to people, who, especially who are entering the field to understand, you know, what, what has been done and what are really the open pressing questions in soft robotics. So, they don't have to find it all out for themselves because 
to a certain extent, soft robotics, you know, up until now, it's been a lot of, as you enter the field, you have to kind of figure it out yourself because there isn't really a great resource. You know, you can read review articles and do literature search yourself, but you know, we don't yet have a, you know, a, a textbook or, you know, coherent um, source of courses. And I think there's some really nice courses starting throughout the country. We have one at our, our, our university. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I think as we start talking more and cross-pollinating some of the ideas of software robotics classes, I think that can really help with this, uh, you know, moving the field forward towards ones and twos. Absolutely, yeah. But I'm curious to ask you about the levels you mentioned. How do you see this kind of to be applied holistically in the field? So, so I, I don't know what kind of maybe responses you get from the community, because let's be honest, sometimes the kind of research, the kind of, yeah, the problem we have related to the funding, as you mentioned in the paper. So how do you see this dimension of the pressure to publish as much as you can? Mm. And there's incremental work, maybe if you can correct us, but maybe the incremental work versus breakthrough. So now you're trying to make it in three level. And um, yeah, I don't know how do you see that could be changing in, in, in reality. So yeah, deploying yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. No, so, okay, so maybe there's, again, kind of two parts here. I would say, in my mind, the, the, the levels are really helpful to the researcher thinking about what, you know, framing, framing the research questions. And, and I wasn't thinking so much about it being a, a metric, an official metric or something that, that comes mm. out. I think, you know, we mentioned it also could be valuable for reviewers though as well. Um, it might be a way to help them frame their thinking as well. Um, but, but it's more of a tool to help frame uh, uh, what, what, what you're working on or, or reviewing. Now, as opposed, uh, the other question was about, you know, incremental versus breakthrough. And I think, um, and there's maybe one line in the paper about this, but maybe we should have made it more, more clear that 012 is not necessarily zero is incremental, one's somewhere in between, and two is breakthrough. Instead, uh, maybe I should have started with this, but, but we see um, one as a contribution, a measurable contribution to the field of soft robotics, right? And so, so this could be a small step, right? This could be something that's, that is just incremental, but, but it, is, it is real. It is a real progress for the field. And if enough of us are making small incremental steps, we're gonna really advance the field in the long run. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so I think uh, one has a range between incremental and breakthrough. So you can have a breakthrough in one. One just means that it's applied within the field of soft robotics. Two means that uh, that, that contribution applies uh, beyond the field of soft robotics. And so this is how we decided to break, you know, break our categorization. There's obviously other ways of doing it. But, but so the key distinction there between one and two is one is within the field, two is, is beyond the field and, and you're not um, only limiting your contribution to within soft robotics. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so a two could potentially, you know, be somewhat incremental as well. So, you, so again, within two, you can have incremental to breakthrough. Um, and so I want to clarify that, that we aren't saying you should never publish anything except for breakthroughs. <laughs> what we're saying is that when, you, when you're thinking about your project and in, in your, in you're writing your stuff, you're really looking at the contribution and you're looking at you know, how it applies either within or beyond soft robotics. Um, mm -hmm. And I think really the, the, what we're really, you know, in zero, 
we're saying, well, th there's not a measurable contribution in, in there. Um, so your question is, you know, publishing versus, versus you know, the, the pressure to publish a lot. Um, I would say putting your effort towards work from the beginning that you think is a real contribution is maybe a better use of your time, right? Mm -hmm. than, to pub than to work on a project that you know from the beginning you think is level zero, then there's a chance it won't even get accepted. And, and then that's, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it can be can be can be less useful, and so so I think even even from the beginning, if you're thinking about contributing um, something, then that's really really the way to that we're trying mm -hmm. to direct the field. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like uh, talking about maybe how do you see because we already have a very competitive sometimes field. Sometimes we know there's yeah. a competition, yeah, and that that's reality in academia. Yeah, how do you see this kind of category that? If a lab's doing one and the other lab's doing two, I don't know. Do you think that's something would be healthy that we have this kind of your level one? I'm level two. Maybe I'm, I'm a stupid question. I don't know that. No, no, no. So, so, so I would say, so, so again, um, I would say every lab is going to be doing zeros, ones, and twos at all times. Mm. Um, so yeah. it's just the reality of things. Um, so I, I would say there's, there's no way that. You, that any lab is going to be always doing twos. It's just not not realistic. And um, and so I think really what what we're saying is not that you should only do twos with your research. It's more of with any individual project. You take a look at it and you say, hey, if it's kind of on the zero side of things, what could we do to think about making it more of a one? If it's on the one side of things, what could we do to think about making it more of a two? Um, and so so it's not so much as like you know, you're stamped as always doing ones, right? I think it's fluid and I think uh, any researcher is probably doing all of them and any projects can move uh, among those three categories. So, so they're very, they're, I would say they're very fluid categories. And, you know, as with any categories, there's overlap and in, in a spectrum really, right? So there aren't really hard boundaries. Yeah, I think one of important point in your paper about that you measure how you measure the impact, for example, something meaningful outside the academia or citation from outside the field, that's maybe the right metrics to figure out whether what you're doing is really beneficial. So when it comes to the problem and we have a problem and solution, how we can, the question, and because you already have your lab, so how you can answer the question, how we can make sure that what you're doing is beneficial. Mm. If you blow this question to many labs, because sometimes, yeah, I don't know, some people would just come and say that, Maybe the solution is not efficient. You have expensive solution to maybe mm -hmm. you didn't. Maybe it's hard sometimes to get the right question, and you ask yourself, "Why doing that? Why doing that?" So sometimes it doesn't make sense. But still, yeah, I mean, we are not making any student generalization, but I think that's something it's very important what you mentioned, and still not clear how we can ask right a question, or maybe that's right solution and applicable outside academia as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So. So I think it's hard to always do research that has impact outside academia, right? That, that's not probably practical or realistic. And so, so we're careful to say in our paper that we're trying as researchers or offering to the, to the community to, to so, so, so the, it's almost a two-step uh, process that we're pitching that we're saying as researchers, if we focus on contribution that is, are you advancing what's known? Are you advancing the state of the art? 
either within soft robotics or out. If you're focusing on your own, you know, making a contribution, a real contribution, the premise is that if enough of us are doing that, then our field will have impact. Mm. And there will be projects coming out of that that will have real measurable impact. So we're not, and so, so I guess we, we make a distinction between impact and contribution, which is maybe uh, a bit of um, semantics, but, but in the paper, we try to clarify that, that we're not saying every project needs to have impact. That's not to say that every paper is gonna go out there and you know, be patented and, and save lives, right? Because at a certain extent, you know, that's the point of academia is to be one step removed from that, that everything doesn't have to make money like, unlike in a company, right? And so we, we have a little more freedom there. Um, but what we're saying is if we really focus on contribution, and by that I mean that, that you're advancing the field, right? So, so you're not just replicating what's been done before, but we're, we're helping the, the field take a step forward. And if we are doing that, and everyone's trying their best to do that, then I, I mean, the premise is, and maybe it's not true, but the premise of the article is that if we're all working on that, then hopefully as a field, we will, we will have impact and a meaningful um, uh, field in the next decade or so. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to ask you about maybe the way we impose evolution or propose it, for example, uh, if we have, for example, any conductive polymer, just kind of actuator and on the other side we have pneumatic actuation. And sometimes when it comes to research, there's a lot of component of ego sometimes that I just want to do that because my leg's doing that all the time. How do you figure out that we can have this kind of inclusive, that's, that's maybe the right solution and we have to make effort so that we can have this meaningful contribution because sometimes mm -hmm. you have diverse approaches and everyone is trying to use different things. So there's a lot of varieties here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and so by so that's a really good question. So so by meaningful contribution, I think both of those could have meaningful contribution within their areas, right? So for a pneumatic actuator, the person researching pneumatics would say, okay, what is known about pneumatics in soft robotics? What is what are what's the state of the art? Where is there room for improvement that would really help out the field in in soft uh, pneumatic actuation, right? And so that mm -hmm. person can can focus on that. And then the person doing, you know, uh, whether EAP or whatever, you know, a different type of actuation, looking at, at issues there and, and contributing to the EAP research in that regard. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that we, you know, we should never do pneumatics and only do EAPs. That's not what we're saying. We're saying within each of those, making sure you know what has been done and what needs to be done to help advance that technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when it comes to maybe the right question or maybe the missing uh, piece that you think we have to ask ourselves when it comes to view, what kind of maybe questions do you think we have to ask ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe for HBI, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think really a key question is, is you know, first of all, knowing what, what has been done in the field and really, which takes effort, right? Looking through all the papers and understanding, you know, what's missing. Um, and so, so what are, what, so I guess the key question is, is, is what, what is um, missing that I could contribute? And I think a nice analogy to this that I've seen um, is um, imagine the field and everything that has been created is, is a wall that we're building together or a structure we're building. And we're looking, you're, you're at, you as a researcher are looking for holes in that wall. 
and you're saying, okay, there's a hole right here, and, and you need to know all the literature that's surrounding that hole and, and be able to describe that hole, and then um, that's what you can focus on in, in filling that, you know, filling in that brick that's missing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that key question is, what's missing and what would, would help advance the field? And that's sometimes not an easy question, <laughs> but, but I think part of what we're trying to argue is that it is worth putting that um, effort in up front, uh, thinking about what really could help the field out, what's, what's unknown, what could help advance um, our understanding or, or the technology, and then putting our efforts uh, directed towards that. Mm -hmm. And what maybe the thing that you think we have to give much much attention? For example, I don't know. Do you think what's maybe still lacking? Maybe modeling or simulation tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a really good question. And and I think in the so yeah. So we you know in the paper we really tried to keep it at a higher level. Um, so so we didn't go into because there's so many great review articles that do state. You know, these are the challenges to soft robotics, and these are the things we need to address. Um, and so, so we really wanted to focus this um, on a much broader thinking about, you know, given your area, because there's a ton of important areas. I don't want to list one and say, hey, that's the one, right? Because I think there's so many. Um, and we did make a big list in the paper, but um, I think, you know, there's a lot of important questions that need to be addressed. And in whichever one you're working on right now, I think this 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 applies to. Um, and, and you can think it through, you know, what's been done in my area and, and what's, uh, uh, what's lacking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. And I, I think that's a very interesting point about, um, about uh, publication again. I think, uh, most of you would say that how we can avoid the problem of reproducibility. So I don't know when we try to present our work, sometimes it's worth one time. Uh, yeah, but. Do you think there's any way we can uh, we can present our work beyond publication? Do you think that's something that people can general public can be engaged and see that that's really meaningful, or, yeah, or do you no, think we don't need that? No, that's a really good question. Um, and you know, so so we mentioned a couple of things, you know, that 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 happen after publications that that signify impact. I was again saying that that's not necessarily something we need to really make sure every piece of work gets patented and, and that, but you know, things like patents and, and, um, and companies who are, who are making items, uh, uh, you know, and we haven't seen too many in soft robotics. So I think that is something we're really hoping for the next, next decade is, is soft robotic solutions that really make it out into the world. And we give a list of soft solutions from history that really, completely changed their respective fields. Um, mm -hmm. Whether whether it was the pneumatic tire, uh, which is, you know, yeah. 140 years old or something. Um, and and it's still being used, right? I mean, it was a it was a, it's a, it's a pneumatic solution that, that is better than anything else we can think of. Um, and so I think mm -hmm. that's what we're really eager for in the next decade is, is us moving some of our technologies um, out into the world where they're and this is kind of, you know, like, you know, the holy grail, mm -hmm. we could see these things where some of these technologies we're working on are actually getting out into the world and displacing what, what we're using as technology right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how will be, uh, you, you imagine will this be in action? I don't know if there is something you have to do uh, beyond the paper, what kind of vision or to put all that in action so that when do you think we can do that or? Yeah. 
Well, so, yeah, I would say even before we published the paper, uh, we, we tried some in, in, in our lab uh, and yeah. we, we had students. So, so I think it, there was one really great exercise we did um, was doing a literature review and trying to find uh, a paper that was a zero and a one and a two and then pitch it to the lab um, and, and explain why you thought it was, it was, mm -hmm. it was at that level. Um, and, and had a really lively discussion around that. So, so that was a really nice actionable item that we did within our own lab um, is, is basically uh, thinking through how, how these apply to previous work um, that we, we looked at. And then, I mean, I think that the key action item is then taking a step back and looking at your own work and saying, you know, where, where do I think this is falling? Um, we've done this in our lab. Some you know, students will be thinking about a new project. What, what are they thinking about doing next, right? And they're laying out a couple of options and then they, they um, kind of categorize them and they say, okay, that one, you know, honestly, is kind of a zero. <laughs> and this one though, if I got that to work, you know, that would be a two, right? So let's go for it let's try it. And so I think that's kind of been a, an item that, that, that we've already been trying to implement in our lab. And I think that's kind of how we're envisioning this being, being um, put into action. Mm -hmm. Maybe it comes to ask why do you think level zero is important maybe in that in this category things it's, it's not really significant so much. Why do you think it's important to be mentioned for each lab to have this level zero? Why do you say level one and two just just it like that? So, so why why even have a level zero? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well well so I would say level zero is is something that um, it exists because sometimes things don't work out maybe the way you hope they did. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, you have an idea about a project and you, you, in your mind, you pitch it and you think, okay, this is definitely level one. And it just doesn't really work out <laughs> like you thought it would. And, and in the end, it's kind of level zero. Um, and, you know, it, I, I don't know if it's worth going into, is that worth publishing or not? I mean, I think at, at a, a point, um, you know, I think the point of the article is that when you're coming up with a study design and you, you mm -hmm. look at it and you say, it's a, this is a zero, then you have that opportunity to try to, to upgrade it, right, um, during mm -hmm. the study. And if something, you know, ends up at a level zero, you know, so be it. It's not, the world isn't perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what that level zero is there for. Yeah. So maybe come back to your work about vine robots and ground robots in general. And I think one of push about bio-inspired soft robots, for example, why we have always to do, I think that's something we speak a lot in the community about why we have to go to bio-inspired design sometimes since we know that what we have already in nature is just not perfect solution, just adaptive. So for you, when you try to design the vine robots or ground robots, if you can tell us more about the process to come up with the design and the problem and because maybe students may be curious to know the process to get up with this product on the solution yeah, yeah, like yeah. Some of that. yeah yeah so i think a key part in in that design and in bio inspired design in general is is not you know copying nature um because like you said nature isn't perfect right but but it's it's looking at principles that that underlie uh, some really intriguing behaviors, right? And so, so the simple principle that, that we looked at here was extension from, from the tip of, of the um, object to create a form of um, 
I'm not going to call it locomotion because I think locomotion is moving your whole body. So, so we say it's like navigation of an environment um, by extending from a, a fixed space. So that's the, the, the very high level principle. And then, you know, if you zoom in and, and look at how plants actually do it, it's incredibly complicated with cell division and, and all this. And, um, and so we, we did not try to mimic that. Um, and, and maybe it's someday that will be possible to do, but, but it, it currently is not. <laughs> and so we have a very simple um, version of that, right? W with, this, with this kind of everting uh, inflated process. Um, and so, so I think um, maybe the key there is that, you know, can you, can you see a biological uh, principle and then understand the key attributes you need and the ones you don't need, and then and then only focusing on the ones that you do need um, to get the behavior you want, um, while potentially simplifying the system. Mm -hmm. Great. And I'm just asking about maybe about the material. What do you think maybe optimal material when it comes to having simple and elegant solution as you did, for example? Do you think material sometimes is it challenging? How do you imagine the optimal material? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for our for material-wise, for our vine robot, you know, we started with with um, uh, low-density polyethylene, which is a very common cheap material, um, and it's, so we still use it for prototyping. Uh, however, for higher pressures and for more supple movement, mm -hmm. uh, we found that um, airtight fabrics are, are great. Um, we're we're currently working on a project now for burrowing uh, in bill. And for that, we need even higher pressures. Um, uh, inspired by plant roots and tree roots, um, which will be up to uh, I think two megapascals of pressure. So that's way higher than the LDP can handle. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're looking at you know Kevlar reinforced and and Dyneema fabrics, some some of these uh, kind of uh, uh, materials yeah. that are used for things like kites and or you know like kites and paragliders and things like that. Um, and so. That's been fun looking at those uh, materials, and we think we can maybe even exceed the pressures of the roots with some of these high-tech materials, which should be fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I'm curious about the process working that. Is something still for you, maybe hard to understand, or it's still letting it have work? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's always so much more to learn, and I think this is what's really yeah. fun about um, uh, researching in interdisciplinary fields. Um, so I'm working with material scientists and chemists and, and control theorists. And I understand very little of a lot of it. So, so that's what keeps my job exciting. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to uh, intelligence, because we have a series about embodied intelligence, do you think in soft robotics also one of the question, we have to give much effort in the brain itself for the body of the soft robots? Or yeah, both absolutely. of them, how do you see yeah, that? Yeah, no, absolutely, great question. So, so I, think, I think the answer is absolutely both. So, um, mm. My work is very focused on the body, and, um, and maybe folks have noticed. You know, we don't we don't spend a lot of a lot of the projects are not focused on the, the brain or the AI or, or computer vision or any of this. Um, that is not to say that it's not super important, um, and that's just that that's what um, I and my students really enjoy the the physical mechanical side of it, and that's what we we tend to be good at, and so that's focused on. Um, and we collaborate, you know, with, with folks who, who are working on the other parts. And, and so I think uh, to make really, you know, outstanding robots, you need all, all the pieces coming together. 
Mm-hmm. And when it comes to control, do you think when, because uh, for example, there's recent, I think, um, topics in the podcast about how we can replace the controller with intrinsic features from the, the body itself. So for example, how we can couple geometric and material nonlinear just to have this intrinsic feature. How do you see that in, um, when it comes to body intelligence? Uh, do you think we can replace the controller or I think we can supplement them. I think we can definitely supplement them, right? And I think I think the Vine robot is a, a nice example of that um, in its ability to to deform passively round objects. And you know, uh, you know, we, we have a couple of papers on steering through through obstacles, where you know, if it runs into an obstacle, it's basically able to kind of self buckle and, and reorient. Um, but in the end, if you need to go to a specific spot, you need sensors and a controller as well to, to, to um, add that kind of functionality. So, so I think it's key uh, that you can simplify the control potentially, we know with some embedded intelligence, um, but it's hard to believe um, or really see a, a full robot, you know, mm-hmm. where that can sense and respond to its environment in meaningful ways um, uh, without some, some active sensing in, in, in brains. <laughs> so I, I think, I, so, so I guess that's what I, where, where I really stand is that, that I think we can enhance the control um, and simplify it. Uh, however, I don't think we should be looking to get rid of microcontrollers anytime soon. Yeah, and I'm curious to ask you about um, whether any situation through modeling, I don't know, um, or maybe the process you're doing, the analytical solution, you figure out in reality, the, uh, the robot, for example, it doesn't work the way expected. Do you have any kind of scenario like that? I was surprising that was counterintuitive why this happened or surprising all the, time. <laughs> all the time. I think, I think that's partly what makes, makes it so fun to do um, <laughs> is, is you, you have a vision of what, what you hope or what you think will happen. And then you prototype it and you test it. And I think that's one thing we, we love doing in our, in our lab is, is quickly testing ideas. Um, so we have mm-hmm. a bunch of, I mean, it's really, um, a lot of it is just cheap off the shelf, you know, random scraps mm-hmm. of things. You can put together quickly and make it. And, and because, because basically you have a model in your head and it's wrong. And then mm-hmm. you build it and you test it and you say, oh, okay, that wasn't right. But the key is that you learn something from, from that iteration. You say, ah, okay, so, so this part didn't make I thought this was you know, more flexible than I imagined it would be. Uh, and then you learn, learn something, you update basically the model in your head and, and you redesign and then you do another iteration. And, and I think it's really key uh, for what we do. And, and this is maybe something that, that um, also in software development, where the iteration cycles can be very fast, right? And, and so I think that's a lesson as hardware engineers we can, we can take from software is that if you can test things quickly and learn from them, you can move forward quite rapidly. And so that's something we, we really focus on. Even, even sometimes something like a 3D printer, which might, you know, people call rapid prototyping, but might take multiple hours to get you apart. You know, if you can instead chop a piece of pipe in half and drill a hole in it, you know, and have your part in, in seven minutes as opposed to two hours, you know, then you can go through, you know, 10 more prototypes and the time you're waiting on the print to occur. Yeah. So I think there's, there's really uh, something that we like doing is, is these kind of rapid iterations in, but also making sure that you're, you're learning something from every iteration. You're not just trying mm-hmm. a bunch of random 
Yeah. But I'm curious about the limitation maybe you have or maybe something very challenging for VIM robots and also for soft robotics field. You think there's a technological block here as well and we have to maybe advance more in this direction when it comes to technological blocks as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a, a few, you know, for VIM robots, um, one thing we're, we're very curious about is, is going much smaller. Um, so we're looking at applications for going through the, the blood vessels um, up into the brain. Uh, yeah. So this is getting things down to the scale of a millimeter or so and getting active steering at that scale is definitely challenging. Um, and so I think scaling down is a big challenge. Um, uh, we're looking at, at branching as well. Um, so the plant roots, right? So we're looking at how, how these things can branch like, like plant roots. And I think mm -hmm. uh, some challenges, challenges there on manufacturing side is, is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, uh, you know, the steer, steering in, in Vine Robots is still, I'd say there's not a perfect solution yet. There's a lot of options and a lot of them work pretty well. Um, you know, from our group and from many other groups, um, but, but it's, it's, you know, still not quite as elegant as, as a plant, uh, ability to steer through environment. So I think there's mm -hmm. definitely some room there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess to give about that concept of growing robot, do you think maybe, I don't know if you have any ideas for that too. Do you think integrating a living system with non-living system uh, to, mm. to grow, do you think that's learning here or intelligence? For example, growing growth, how they can continue continual learning, for example. How do you imagine that if you integrate living system with non-living system? Yeah, so it's a biohybrid solution. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Um, I think some so so one idea we had, um, which we have not tried yet, is integrating with uh, bacteria uh, mm. for sensing. So 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 you can you can do um, uh, bacteria that are that have been been uh, engineered to sense different things like a pollutant or something like that um, and then make some response and so um, we envision these bacteria uh, living in the skin of the vine robot so as it's growing either above ground or below ground they could be sensing for for pollutants or toxins and then sending a signal back to the base um, and yeah. Whether you know, and so I think there's some questions as to the feasibility of that, and, and and in which cases are those bacteria better sensors than than we could use with um, you know microchips? And so I think that's an important question. So maybe maybe more broadly is is, is when when is the the biohybrid solution actually a better solution than than using um, fully engineered? And I think there probably are examples, but I think that's an important question. Mm -hmm. Great. So we're of course end every question. I, I don't know if you have any crazy idea when it comes to after the paper you published now. Uh, I don't know what kind of ideas when it comes to your lab you try to, I don't know, do you imagine something maybe, I don't know, crazy or ideas? We are we are always uh, thinking of crazy ideas in my lab. Um, so so one one for instance, um, which which we just submitted um, to IROS, the beginnings of it, uh, it is a, a an enormous uh, inflated ball robot. So imagine mm -hmm. almost as tall as a person uh, that could drive around. It could inflate to roll over things, maybe even roll over a car or upstairs, things like this. And then it could deflate itself and roll under a car. And, and uh, because air pressure is in kind of an incredible thing when you inflate uh, pretty low pressures, but with such a big uh, area, 
pushing on surfaces, we, we think we could lift a car up as well. So, so, um, so a robot that can both be quite uh, mobile, um, but also able to apply very large forces to the world to do useful things, um, potentially move quickly and be robust. Um, yeah, so that, that, one's a, that one's a kind of a fun one we're, we're just getting started with. Yeah. And maybe also about redundancy uh, when it comes to buying robot. Do you think this, I know Absolutely. it's hard, yeah, it's damaging, but you demonstrate that sometimes this is resisting, for example, damage. But I don't know if this is now you think maybe there's damage happening or the concept of redundancy when it comes to growing robot. Yeah. How we envision that? Yeah, no, I think redundancy is a really neat idea. And this is something we've thought about for a little while, we have yet to do, but some talk with a collaborator maybe doing this soon so so stay posted um but but uh the idea would be you know if the, the base station could be um you know it's kind of your, your expensive component and then you can imagine growing tens or even a hundred tendrils uh out of that one station and so we think something like searching a collapsed building could be this could be a really nice option for that where you grow a hundred vine robots and they could even be passive so unseared vine robots um, and just allow them to snake through the, the rubble and each has you know, sensors on it and looking for survivors. Um, and, and where here, I mean, if two or three or even 10 break or don't, don't go anywhere useful, well, you still have 90 that are, that are uh, exploring. So I think that's a really uh, fruitful area of research. And yeah, one thing we thought about is they could have minimal steering where they basically repel her. So as they're growing through the rubble, if they get near a neighbor, they try to steer away. That way they don't all end up in the same path um, and, and they could explore through a, through a whole collapsed building. But yeah, no, I think that's a, a great uh, multi, a multi robot in a way, even though they're all coming from one main robot. Yeah, yeah. And it could be maybe still curious about what could be an avoidable trade-off when it comes to designing growing soft robots and avoidable trade-offs, something you can't avoid when it comes to this. Yeah, well, so I mean, I think a, 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 one main one is, is a length limitation, right? So, mm -hmm. so if you're making a, a wheeled robot, you, know, you can go as far as your fuel will take you. Um, but with a vine robot, you, you are constrained to, to not move you know, more than, I don't know, 100 meters from your base, something around there. Um, mm -hmm. there, there is a group who's, who, who's reportedly working on a kilometer long vine robot. So uh, <laughs> apparently it might be possible to go a kilometer, but, but in the end there, there, is a, there is a limit in length. Um, so I think that's a, a key constraint one has to think about with, with vine robots such that when you're thinking of good applications, uh, I think you should consider applications where you know, that isn't a, a, a huge problem, right? So, so you, you, like a collapsed building where you maybe you know, only need to go 20 or 30 meters, um, or for instance, medical applications we're looking at where you only have to go through the body and that's not nearly so far. Yeah, but that's mm -hmm. a great question. Yeah, so I'm going then first question. Uh, do you think ego is important for you as a researcher when you have these ideas in the field? Do you think ego sometimes is important for you? Oh, to have an ego. Oh, very good question. <laughs> um, I think it is, I think it's important to be proud of your work. And to a certain extent that, that you know, might, might, you know, be on the spectrum of having, having an ego. Um, 
because I think it's important to, you know, when you're creating work or you're publishing it and you, you know, you have your name on a paper that you're proud of the thing that, that, that you've created. Um, and so I think, I think that's something that I really like thinking about is when I publish this paper, am I going to be proud of this? Um, and I think, I think keeping that as a standard and, and this maybe ties back a little bit to our levels, but you know, I think things that you can be proud of that are making contribution. Um, I think that can really help um, as a researcher to, to help advance your career. Mm -hmm. And what could be um, the most important quality you have gained so far? Mm. And you have to maintain. I think, I think um, being okay with failure, I think is a really important mm. characteristic in, in, in research. And um, we try to teach this in our class a little bit where no one is a perfect designer and, and, and you can't just make something that's gonna work. And so being okay with saying, I'm gonna try something and, it, and it, could, it could well not work, right? And I think, so being okay with failure, learning from your mistakes and moving forward, I think is really important in this field. Oh, that's a very important point. Do you have any comments about mechanism to get out of failure because sometimes student mm. it is hard it's hard absolutely no absolutely so i think one key is to understand why it's failing and, and that's often hard i mean that's not you know easy to do but but i think really drilling down into getting at the why right so why yeah. is it working and instead of just trying thing after thing you know instead of just changing one thing and, and hoping it works really trying to drill down as to why it's failing. Um, and and if, if you can do that, um, understand the why, then you can say, take a step back and think about, okay, well then how am I gonna change it to get around this problem? Um, and, and part of that is designing prototypes that are almost more like little scientific uh, experiments to understand the why. You know, so I'm gonna build two prototypes with one little part different and see if one works and one doesn't, to, you know, to try to get at the, the, the why my, my prototype isn't working the way it is. Um, and so if you can almost think of a hypothesis and test your hypothesis, I think that can be a really nice way um, to try to get out of your, <laughs> get out of your failures. Yeah, thanks so much for hearing that. And lastly, maybe what could be the best advice I was giving to you and was the life changing? I don't know, maybe mm. or Stick to your mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, good question. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not thinking of a specific quote from somebody, but maybe more um, general advice that I've received and I feel really blessed and lucky to have received that, that um, you know, to follow my passions and, and, and go, go, where, go wherever my, my interests take me. Um, and I know that's not possible for everybody. And, and um, so really just to whatever extent that that is possible, I think, and if it is possible for you, just feeling grateful for that. Um, and I know I feel grateful for, for being able to be doing something that I really enjoy. Um, yeah. and, and that helps my, uh, I would say, you know, that's what gets me out of the bed in the morning is, is, is doing things that I love. Absolutely, I do agree with that. That's really very important in our life, yeah. And I don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say or final comments about your paper that you would like to a message or I don't know if you have any final words or message about. Yeah, um, I have one last thought about um, creativity. So 
I think we can all agree that creative ideas are really important in our field. Um, I think a key to producing these ideas uh, is making environments um, where everyone feels uh, welcome uh, to give their input. So it's really important to remember that you know when you're brainstorming, every idea, no matter how different or out there it is, uh, it adds value. Uh, and so yeah, so I, I guess I think that you know if we can encourage um, unique ideas from diverse voices, uh, innovation um, will follow. And I wanted to mention that it's certainly not a new idea uh, to think about the contribution of one's work. Um, but I think what we're hoping to offer to the field is this categorization, um, which can be a tool uh, as we're considering our contribution. And one thing I wanted to mention was that we wanted this article to be uh, encouraging and not discouraging. So we, we weren't hoping um, to discourage anybody's work, but rather encourage everyone to um, look at what they're doing and, and think of ways uh, to bring their work uh, to the next level. So thank you once again, Alex. I think that was very uh, interesting. And thanks so much for the paper. I think that's something very important and uh, for the field. And I appreciate your time. It was really enjoyable talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.